All right. We're taking all the best old school wisdom and blending it with the top new school methods to bring you the optimal coaching strategies. This is the 8020 Baseball Podcast with Coach Bo. Welcome, coaches. Good to have you with us for our weekly get-together. Coach Bo with you here. This week, we are going to wrap up part three of our interview with Ryan Foe. We're diving deep. We've been diving deep into the mental game, sports, baseball, the mental game. And in today's episode, we are going to discuss, is diversifying a young person's portfolio a good move? We'll get into that a little bit more. Also, is coaching up the people that you lead mutually exclusive from coaching to the scoreboard? And lastly, in this episode, We're going to answer, Ryan's going to answer, what is psychological sports trauma and how as coaches can we help players work through this? So we're going to splice right into the interview here. We're going to get into part three, our final segment of this interview with Ryan Foe, who is part of the team at Psych Athletes, which is a group that's focused specifically on youth sports, youth athletics, and the mental game, and how we can be better helping those, helping our young athletes deal with the mental game aspect of sports. Before we jump into part three of the interview, email me if you are interested in the pitching clinic, the pitching webinar. Those of you that have already emailed and reached out, I got you on the list. The date is not set yet, but it will be taking place soon. So email me, coachbo at 8020baseball.com or go over to 8020baseball.com and you can contact me through there. And with that said, let's jump into part three of our interview with Ryan. Some good stuff that Ryan shares out here. Let's jump into it. I think sometimes coaches, they get really consumed by results. And I think yes. the intensity of youth sports has elevated to unprecedented levels. You see uh, travel ball coaches really competing for tournament championships. If you're familiar with the basketball world as well, you see AAU teams becoming this ultra competitive play to win. And, and youth sports has really become this ultra competitive winning mindset culture. I think what coaches for get sometimes is the amount, the gravity of their position, the amount of influence that they have on these youth kids, these youth athletes, their minds and their well-being moving forward. And I can mention some specific examples. And I suffered from this when I was an athlete all the way from when I was young to still, I still suffer with it these days. It's called strong athletic identity. And it's when an athlete strongly associates with their role of being an athlete. For example, if they come up to you and they introduce you, themselves to you and they're like on the street and they're like, hi, my name's Ryan and I'm a baseball player. That's really kind of a microcosm of their identity and how they view themselves. They think about themselves as this baseball player rather than a person who plays baseball. That's kind of a microcosm of the dynamic I'm talking about right now. A strong athletic identity is when someone feels a really strong association with that sport and therefore doesn't explore other avenues in their life. And I think that's a really important concept for a lot of youth coaches to understand. And I think it's important for youth coaches to encourage young athletes to develop a multidimensional self and encourage athletes to explore other hobbies or avenues in their life that they might find interest in. Because if you were like me, if a young athlete's like me and they've only played baseball all of their life and they get into college and suddenly they're not performing well enough to play anymore, that has a very, very detrimental impact on their psyche, on their mental health, on their well-being, on the how they view themselves. Because their identity has essentially fallen apart. 
And that is a real problem with a lot of athletes, especially in these days when it's so hyper competitive, when all they're doing is playing baseball, all they're thinking about is playing baseball and winning and getting results, that pressure starts to build. And all of a sudden, like if something happens like an injury or maybe they're not good enough to compete at a certain level anymore, or they lose confidence in in themselves, that really has a profound impact on their development, not just in sports, but in life going forward. Giving players or helping players see themselves as more than just a baseball player, a little more well-rounded. And I think of this comparison as investments. So if you're going to, you know, as you get older, everybody says, well, you don't want to put all your eggs in one bas- mm-hmm. basket. And I'm no professional at investments and IRAs and 401ks <laughs> and real estate and all that, pension plans and all that and whatnot. But I do know this. I do know putting all your eggs in one basket typically is never a good idea. And for, for the most part, 99% of life. And so say you had over the course of your 30-year career, Career, would you? Would any anybody in their right mind say, "Well, I'm just going to invest this five hundred thousand dollars that I've saved over thirty years"? Would I just invest it in one stock? Would I invest it in one property? <laughs> would I invest it in you know one business? I'm not saying that wouldn't work. And there are players that I played with that literally invested yep. only in baseball and they made it. But for every one of them, there's a hundred that didn't, and then they didn't have that that identity. I think that's a great point you make yep. there. We wouldn't want to put all our eggs in one basket and. In life for anything, and we definitely want to have a little diversity. We want to diverse. Let's, let's say we want our our kids to diversify their hobby and interest portfolio yeah. a little bit, right? That's exactly how I put it. I've, I've made that analogy before. Yeah, and not only does it have a positive impact on their mental health going forward and their well being and, and their identity, but it also has a positive impact on their performance in games and in practices. Yep. Because what it does is, if we develop multiple interests or hobbies, it kind of serves as a buffer. Uh, for our confidence and our self-esteem for when we fail in the main sport that we play. And it kind of eases that tension, that pressure on our shoulders, that pressure to perform in games and competitions when we know that, you know, we have a little perspective and we know that this sport isn't everything. This sport, and I know that's hard for a lot of baseball players and people in the baseball realm to grasp, but it's something that should be considered and talked about because if we can develop other hobbies and interests, that's going to allow us to play more free in the sport that we love. It's going to play allow us to play a lot more loose with all that without all that pressure and tension on our shoulders to perform because when we think about ourselves as a baseball player and only a baseball player the pressure to perform in games and competitions on our shoulders because we want to make it so bad it's enormous and that's what I really struggled with in college I was like this is all who I am right now this is I don't have anything else for me right now like I'm a smart kid and I'm I get good grades and all that but like what I really want is to be a baseball player that's all I've ever wanted so what happened to me was I put I had this idea And I put all this stress and pressure on myself to perform in games and competitions. And that did not do good for me. I was always straining myself. I was always pressing for things to happen. I never let the game come to me. So it negatively impacted my performance in games and competitions. So if you develop this multidimensional self, as I like to call it, develop this safety net. And that helps you not just in life, but it helps you in games and in competitions as well. So if you're looking for, you know, an example as to why you should be, you know, encouraging your athletes to develop other interests and hobbies, that's why. 
it's interesting the connection between what we're talking about and how we have to sell it back to coaches that are not as familiar or, or haven't been out in the trenches as much. That this is <laughs> the quick fix, the play to the scoreboard is not going to help the scoreboard more than taking care of these root fundamental issues that are long term. See, Nick Saban is the most successful coach alive, mm-hmm. the best coach alive, but none of it is like quick fix. None of it is play to the scoreboard. It's all big picture life stuff. Nick Saban is better coach than all of us combined listening to this, all of us at this point in time. And he doesn't buy, he never gets caught up. Everything he talks about is stuff that will help. Everything is tied into like, this will help us win games, but it's also just as much going to help them be a better person in life, or this is going to make them a better human. Oh, and by the way, we're going to win more championships. They're not mutually exclusive. They are not. And this is something that you're trying to share, Ryan. It's so important. Youth coaches, people think, well, we got to win this game or I got to focus on the wins. If you focus on the W's, trust me, you're not going to have more W's. If you focus on the human and you focus on the foundations of the human beings, you're going to have more W's along with it. There's a reason John Wooden had so many W's and won so many championships. He talked about the most basic of fundamental human things. It wasn't high tech strategy with the game itself. And there was, but it was simply as, you know, just putting your socks on, right? And things like that, where you think this is not a big thing, but it was a big thing. And that all adds up to more wins. So this under this misconception that there's two categories, there's things that help players win and there's things that help them for life. This is probably one, you know, we should have another episode, Ryan. We should have you on. We should just break this down. This is something that I could go for hours. These are not mutually exclusive items. What helps players and human, the players be better people, the mental game, these things that we're talking about, these are going to help win more games. Mm -hmm. They're not mutually exclusive. No, and I love how you put that winning and personal development and development of the mental game and in the long term, investing in your players, that and winning are one and the same. They are not mutually exclusive. And that's what a lot of coaches that I've experienced with like get caught up in. Most of them. Worrying about the fundamentals, worrying about the physical, worrying about mechanics, worrying about a game management, worrying about putting this guy in at a certain time or putting this guy in at a certain time, this micromanagement that coaches have a tendency for, it's counterproductive. Yep. It doesn't work in either way. What you said about it being mutually exclusive, it is so spot on. I love to say an, a ha- an athlete that's happy off the field is an athlete that is happy on the field. Like an athlete that is mm-hmm. that is happy and performing well in life and feels good about their well-being and their mental health in life, they're going to feel the exact same way in competition. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, the they're not mutually exclusive, like you said, and we've been discussing here, and they go hand in hand. They will help you win off the field and on the field. There's a couple things I recommend, and, and you give me your thoughts on this. Uh, I think just simply, uh, since we're talking about baseball coaches and baseball players, they're already into sports. It's kind of something they're already in. Not all sports, but that might be a starting point, maybe playing a second sport that gets them to be a little more well-rounded. But I know we're talking about more than that. We're talking about having hobbies and other interests that aren't athletic pace. Yeah, it could be like video games. It could be skating. It could be surfing. It could be like playing an instrument. It doesn't have to be another sport. It doesn't have to be something that takes their effort and energy away from the game of baseball. It can just be things that help them relax, help them cool off, help them like give them a little a safe space for them when they're not performing well, give them a place to recharge. It could be so many different things and it doesn't have to be like, you know, a multi-sport athlete. Just you don't have to go start picking up basketball or you don't have to pick up football or anything like that. It could be something so simple as just surfing or skating yep. or playing video games or playing an instrument, writing, reading. 
You know, it's so funny. I was like thinking of examples as you're listing them. And every time I would think of one, boom, you'd say it. Yeah. Like even things like playing instruments, music, writing, totally different, totally different. And so the thing is, listeners, you've got to coaches listening to this. You have to believe us that this will help players do better on the field. I know Ryan's been hitting on this, but this is so true. This what we're talking about. You're like, wait a second, Coach Bo. You're saying spreading and dividing up their focus will help them on the field if we tell them to go focus on being a Boy Scout. What I'm saying is, and I think, Ryan, you're... You can elaborate on this. What we're saying is they need to be all in as a baseball player when they're on the baseball field. This all ties back to presence. When they're out there on the field and when they put those spikes on, some people call them cleats. I've been yelled at over the years, call them cleats. They're called spikes. But you put the spikes on, you put on the glove, you put on the batting, you get on the pants, then you're all in. And this is something I've used with teams and it's been very effective. I tell them when we're out here, I want you to be all in here, all in for this two hours, all in for this nine minutes all in for this two and a half hours you're all in on baseball during the baseball hours during the baseball practice but you're not all in on baseball all day 24 7 diversify your life have other interests hobbies things you're developing things to take your mind off of one thing and but at the same time you're all in when you're out there on the field you're all in with your focus you're fully present so i think it's important that Mm -hmm. we're clear you need to be all in out here but also diversify other interests throughout your week and throughout your month Mookie Betts is a 300 bowler. He's a golfer. He plays basketball. He does a bunch of other things. And he won the American League MVP in 2018. And I think he is a prime example of someone who has other interests outside of baseball. And you can tell just with his personality out there that he just enjoys playing the game of baseball. And it's nothing that detracts him, like nothing he does in the offseason detracts him from his performance because he is an MVP level player. And I think, yeah, just another good example of someone who has a multidimensional personality that's a pro athlete. I love me some Mookie. I can't get enough Mookie. Uh-huh. I love Mookie. He's one of my favorites. And that's a great, you're right. I, I did remember reading something about, I do remember reading something about him being a 300 bowler, which is incredible. By the way, you know, even if that was his only other, you're like, geez, how do you even have time to do that one thing that great? Yep. And you're going, well, he's a good athlete. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay. Have you ever seen any of these first pitches come out? Have you seen Conor McGregor? He's a heck of an MMA fighter. Have you seen him throw a first pitch? Have you seen John Wall throw a first pitch? Have you seen these NBA players throw a first pitches out there before the game they literally throw it straight into the ground and these are professional athletes they can't they couldn't hit the side of a barn if they were three feet yeah with Mookie that's a great example I love me some Mookie I, I would love to have a team I talked about that in the podcast I was like just get a fill your team with a bunch of Mookies and I'm not talking about the MVP skill level necessarily the physical tools which he's actually undersized and you know for MLB guys kind of undersized and he's not super bulky probably walk right by him in an airport not notice him but his attitude his smile, his enjoyment of the game, like you said. That's a great example. All right. Now, I know we're getting a little long here and I want to kind of wrap up some things, Ryan. I do appreciate your time. I do have a few questions that we kind of scripted out and I think we've hit a lot of them, like how to avoid, how to help athletes avoid mental mm-hmm. burnout. Well, that's probably one of the best things, right? That we could recommend. players. And like you said earlier, make practice as fun as possible. Just make practice fun. Make them enjoy coming to the field. Make them enjoy, you know, playing catch. Make them enjoy every single drill that they do make it a competition make it fun make it lighthearted. i think that's one of the best things that a youth coach could do for an athlete make them informative and make them challenging too they don't have to be like playing football on the baseball field or like or running like having races or whatnot but just make practice fun that's the number one thing that i struggled with especially in high school and college it's just like it just became a chore because my practices were all business-like they were do this drill do this drill you better perform well in that drill or else we're gonna yell at you or in college it was just every single day i was waking up 
at five in the morning for weights. It was having a team meeting at eight in the morning, having four classes a day, having a four hour practice and then another team meeting and then having to do homework. It just becomes such a mental grind for a lot of athletes and it deters them away from the sport that they used to love. And I think it's important to acknowledge as a coach that these are kids, these are young athletes and that we cannot work them to the bone or else they'll start getting burnt out in their sport and lose their passion for it. Spot on, spot on. I'd like to share some strategies that come to mind with what Ryan is saying, helping that avoid burnout, helping players show up to the field and enjoy it. Um, little things, keep like you said, Ryan said, keep the practices shorter, less is more. Don't think that long practices are, are, are the answer. They're not. High level of praise. Make sure we're giving genuine praise. Give some autonomy to kids. Don't feel like you got to walk them through, tell them how to do it. Kids don't want to be bossed around. That's great. They want some autonomy. Yeah. Give them autonomy. Play some music. Have some music. Have somebody have a team mom or an, an assistant coach in charge of some music. Maybe you make sure you download the playlist beforehand, or maybe it's just instrumental music. Maybe you have some music playing in the background just to get a, a better vibe. You know, double play feeds. Yeah, so you go and you're hitting ground balls. You're double plays, double plays. How about this? I've done this with teams, and they love it. Kids love it. I go, all right. Now I want you to do some trick flip to second. All right, you can go between. Yeah, hey, I'm going to judge you. All right, score top scores at ten. All right, so you hit a ground ball to the second baseman, and they're doing a flip to, and they're turning a double play with some kind of pizzazz to it. Or I have them do different things, you know, just some little trick plays or trick things that actually in the long run actually make them better athletes and actually make them better baseball players. But it's just fun instead of being so rigid and so like conservative, like rigid with their, you know, expectations. You know, I want them to, I'm telling them to throw the ball. I want them to flip it behind their back to the second, to the shortstop, second baseman. I want them to do a trick play. Those are some strategies off the top of my head. Keep practices shorter than you think they should probably be. Praise give them autonomy, play some music. And, you know, maybe little things where they're having fun. Just don't, it doesn't have to be just this, you know, rigid set of exactly how the game should look because that's how the game is played. We've got to play it the way it's played. Yeah, you know what? You're going to burn out a lot of kids. You're not going to want to show up if you don't add a little style, yep. a little, little fun to it. Yeah, spot on. Now, a couple of things here, the sports psychology or psychological sports trauma. I know we haven't really hit on this. I know you've, you know, you kind of discussed this with me a little bit on the back and forth before we got on here. Maybe you could go into that a little bit, the psychological sports trauma. So we got that. And then then I'd love for you to share your top two, one, two or three resources. Obviously your podcast, Psych Athletes, which can be found on all the podcasts. And and Psych is, it's P-S-Y-C-H athletes, all one word, right? So yep. it's like, like spell psycho athletes, but leave the O off, mm -hmm, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I'll put that in the show notes too. I'll put that in the summary, but I want to have you share a couple other than your podcast, which obviously would be the top recommendation coming from me. The other thing would be maybe a couple other resources that youth coaches can use for getting going with that or just some resources, books or other things or videos they could watch. And then maybe this psychological sports trauma, what are the keys to avoiding or reducing that? Yeah. So I first want to define what it means because it has multiple meanings um, in the sports psychology realm. For me, I use it more in performance context, but it does tie into what we were talking about earlier when we were discussing like, why is it important to be aware of these things, especially when athletes are at such a young age where you think these things might not affect them. But uh, psychological sports trauma is, is a term usually associated with the psychological effects that injury has on a lot of players' confidence, motivation, and well-being. You know, substance abuse comes into play 
play afterwards and like, you know, mental health issues, gambling and other habits that they used to cope with psychological sports trauma. And it's basically what I like to call PTSD in sports. What happens throughout a young athletes, and I don't want to really get super heavy handed here because it has impacts on a player's subconscious and their belief system at a very young age. And I think it's super important. It might sound really like heavy handed and really like kind of stressful to think about. And like, maybe it's not that big of a deal, but I'm going to define it in a way that kind of makes it relevant. So what happens is throughout a young athlete's career, they accumulate all sorts of experiences. They accumulate these negative traumatic experiences. And these experiences can be like so minute and and obscure, like a coach yelling at you, like making a mistake in a pressure situation, striking out with the game on the line, making an error in a pressure situation or peers like demeaning them. Be these little minute, obscure experiences that we all kind of attribute to being mentally tough. Like you just have to deal with it. You just have to bottle it up and kind of push forward. But what happens with these experiences and the beliefs and the emotions that come with them, they get buried deep in our subconscious, in our subconscious minds. Our minds always remember these feelings and emotions in these situations. And what happens is they can surface later throughout their life, whether it be in a game in their career or just in life in general, these emotions and these experiences can resurface as anxiety and fear in similar moments, negative self-beliefs, low confidence, low self-esteem. And the big thing with psychological sports trauma and, and sports culture in general is that we teach kids to bottle these things up. We teach them to suck it up and we teach them to move on. And mm-hmm. these things never get rooted out of kids subconscious. And then later in, in their career, in a similar situation, say it's the bottom of the ninth. And as a kid, maybe they had trouble with this certain situation and they remember all the feelings of striking out and letting their teammates down and their coaches being upset and parents and family being upset that they lost. And then that pressure kind of mounts up in that similar situation later in their life. You kind of see what I'm saying. And these and these feelings and emotions that these kids feel often consider them as a sign of weakness. Like if I talk about it or I bring it back up, it's like seeking help is a sign of weakness, feeling that they should be able to push through psychological obstacles as they do physical ones. And athletes may not have developed healthy coping behaviors, making their response to these situations negative and negative on their well-being and negative on their psyche. I know a lot of athletes, especially me, I can pinpoint certain moments in my career that are traumatic. Yep. In college, I had I was put into the game in the seventh inning and we were up by two and there was a pop fly hit down the line and I missed it and I overran it and the game was tied and we ended up losing that game. That had such an effect on me and my confidence, my self-esteem going forward. I developed this anxiety. I developed this stress, this depression, and I felt like I let my team down. And then I bottled these things up. I didn't talk about them. And I can pinpoint another experience. When I was a freshman in in high school, I was touted like as a starting shortstop, like this guy's super talented. He's going to be the guy. And my first game, I made an error in the infield and I struck out twice. And my coach pulled me in the fifth inning of an exhibition high school game. And that messed me up. And I went on this downward spiral of negative feelings, of, of feelings of isolation, of anxiety, of depression. I had no one to talk to. And I attribute that experience as a defining moment in my career. And these things happen from such a young age, especially in this ultra competitive sphere that we've created in youth sports, like when they're young and when they're competing for this tournament championship and they make a mistake and then they let their teammates down because all of the pressure and the expectations that built up in that moment and it affects them in the long term. It gets shoved deep in their subconscious and their mind will always remember it. So the big thing with psychological sports trauma is trying to mitigate these moments as much as possible. Trying to make the atmosphere fun and lighthearted and not pressure inducing and 
not stress inducing and make them let them just have fun in these moments. There's not always a way to kind of avoid because they will happen in an athlete's life. It's about how we communicate with them about it, how open we are with them, make them feel comfortable talking about these feelings of anxiety, of low confidence. Hey, this is why I'm scared to fail. This is why I get nervous or I get really unconfident in pressure situations. If we just start a dialogue about it, it can help an athlete tons. I bottled every single little thing up in my athletic career. And that has an effect on me to this day that I'm still trying to heal and I'm still trying to deal with. And it might sound like this kind of soft stuff. Like it's like something that I'm kind of getting really deep here, but it it sounds like this like soft, like weakness kind of stuff. And that's a result of the kind of culture that we've created. And that really needs to be eradicated and just let these kids let it out. Don't teach them to bottle it up. I think building a a solid kid into a strong adult involves addressing the natural inherent soft spots that all humans have. And we have to address and understand we do have soft spots and there's things. It cannot be an all hard-nosed approach. Some of it, we do need to up the expectations of toughness and in ways we also need to, in a lot of ways, we need to lower the expectations of toughness and discuss it a little bit more and make it be known. Here's a strategy I use. I deal with a lot of mental health issues as a health teacher also. And, and over the years, I've worked with thousands and thousands of students from a lot of uh, inner city kids. And I've been the last couple of years, I've been teaching online and I deal with a lot of kids who have just massive, I have like 340 students right now that have IEPs alone, individual education plans. Essentially, these are typically like, there's a lot of different reasons, but it could be autism and things like that. Or, but a lot of it's anxiety. What I do, I started off by always saying this, Ryan, I always say, Hey, you're not alone. You're not alone. What you're sharing and what you're sharing out, you are not alone. We're all going, we're all on this somewhere. We're all on the spectrum somewhere. You're not alone. It's very normal. What you're going through is normal. I just make sure I normalize what they're going through and this anxiety and these things are bottling in and bottling up and hold with and holding in tight. I just want them to know it is normal and they're not alone. And then I also make sure I'm very clear about it by saying it's not healthy. You know, anxiety is not healthy. And nobody could ever say it's healthy, but it's definitely normal. And how normal it varies from every person, from person to person, of course. And everybody falls somewhere on the spectrum, some much further along one way or the other than than others. But my point is, what you're saying is we just got to address it. We got to make it, you know, talk about this, bring it to the forefront. I had a question. What are a few key tips, and it ties into this, what are a few key tips that a coach could use, or maybe one tip, a main tip that a coach could use to better address player mistakes? That's a better... What's a, something, a common way that like youth coaches kind of mess up when it comes to addressing player mistakes? Because this can lead into that PTSD a little and kind of that anxiety because we care what our coach thinks. We're looking over our shoulder. We're looking in the dugout when we mess up. Yeah, exactly. Like the game of baseball is 70% failure. Yet we have athletes, loads of that, tons of athletes that are still scared to fail. They still don't understand that message. The biggest thing that a coach can do for an athlete is make them comfortable with failure. Let them know that failure on the field is okay. Mm-hmm. That's all an that's all a coach has to do. And they can mitigate those feelings of isolation, of, of anxiety, of lasting depression that an athlete might 
might get after they make a mistake. Make sure that we respond positively to mistakes. Make sure that we're addressing them in a positive manner. And we're not talking about the effects that their mistake had in their game. We're not talking about if Johnny missed a ground ball in the sixth inning and that run ended up being the winning run. We're not talking about the results. We're letting them know that it's going to happen and it's and you should feel comfortable with it happening. That's going to lessen that burden on their shoulders and they're going to perform so much better after you tell them that. And that's how you're going to fix those mistakes. You're going to tell them that it's okay and then you're going to work on it and then you're going to fix, you know, maybe they they missed it because they their feet weren't set. Maybe they missed it because they had a slow reaction time. So let's fix their pre-pitch routine. They're, first, we make them comfortable and let them know that it, it's okay that they failed. Yep. And then we fix it. And we do not talk about the re- repercussions of their failure. That, that will go a long way for an athlete's psych and their well-being. And it'll give them lessons for life. Our response as coaches to their mistakes has a dramatic and direct impact on the kind of that perceived trauma, that that perception of the magnitude of the mistake for the player. So let's let it be known to our players that failure is part of it, mistakes are part of it, and something like saying, "Hey, it's cool, no worries." Hey, let's hey, you know, and not blowing a gasket when a player makes a physical mistake, exactly. and just really setting the tone and the narrative for the player. We need to set the narrative and the tone for our players' response to the mistakes. We need to make it something that is is not a bad thing, like you said. And I think those are two really huge things. One thing I wanted to share also is make practices in my, this is something I, I firmly believe in, make practices much more difficult or not much more. Make the practices more difficult than the games on average. Not every drill is going to look like this and everything is going to be equal, of course, or more. But make practices harder, more challenging than the games because, because in the games, there's a lot more anxiety. There's a lot more things going on with the mental state, but also the trauma in practice when nobody's at the field on a backfield on a 6 p.m. practice on a Tuesday with nobody watching no fans no peers you know nobody's cheering nobody's there making a mistake in front of nobody is much less traumatic for any pretty much across the board for any human than would be to make a mistake in front of a lot of people if you overrun that ball that you were talking about if you overrun that pop-up in a practice game when nobody's around but you did it in a game there's probably you know 100 fans hundreds of fans thousand fans much more traumatic to whether we want to realize it or not it really is so make kids make practices more challenging than the game so they make my point is this we want to have them make a lot of mistakes in practice because the practice is challenging they also get kind of practice working through the mistake without the trauma there they kind of practice in a lower key environment those mistakes and failures obviously their peers are there their teammates are there but we want them to do that in a much more low key and kind of work through it and grow and build resilience through in a much less traumatic environment and this is a big thing that I really believe also it slows the game down by making practice a little more challenging a little more fast fast-paced practices slow the game down in a game that slow that slows down it's like every athlete that talks about being in the zone it was slow motion you've talked about it just slowing down well one way to slow the game down is to speed up practice and you definitely want it flipped that way you don't want to flip-flop that you don't want the game to be much harder than practice because then you're going to have more you're inherently going to have more failure in the game because you have you fall to the level of your training you don't rise to the level of the occasion you fall to the level of your training in a game so we got to make sure our training is up and so i think that can be hugely advantageous as a coach another key or another kind of push in that direction of hey don't be afraid to make your practices uh, challenging you know your kids shouldn't be smoking every batting practice ball they shouldn't be fielding every ground ball and then like you said what's our response look like to that are we are we are we okay are we are we blowing a gasket every time are we are we yelling at them or are we even a, why do we even address every physical error why don't we 
we just, hey, cool. I mean, we don't have to say anything. Just move on to the next round ball, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What you described is is mental performance in a nutshell, how you practice game-like situations and you elevate the level of play and practice in a controlled environment is directly ind- indicative of how you will play in games and competitions and, and training your mind and mental performance is the exact same way. How are you going to manage feelings of anxiety, of nervousness, of overthinking and not being present in the moment? How are you going to manage those things in games if you haven't practiced them in a controlled environment? That's the beauty of mental performance. It's practicing game skills. It's it's practicing it's practicing confidence. It's practicing presence. It's practicing visualization. It's practicing all these things in a controlled environment that have a direct impact on how you will perform. Awesome. This has been unbelievably fun and I think super informative, Ryan. I mean, this is for me, just on a selfish point, I've loved this conversation and what you've shared and kind of this back and forth. And I know the listeners are going to get a lot out of this if they just trust us and they trust that what we're talking about is what we're saying it is. Let's wrap it up here with maybe a couple of resources, recommendations. Is there a resource other than your mm-hmm. uh, podcast, Psych Athletes? Is there a resource you recommend? Yeah, of course. For specifically... Kind of baseball mental tools. Steve Springer from Quality at Bats is a great resource for hitting. He provides a lot of great mental performance insight yep. into hitting, and he's very informative. And he's probably right now one of the top resources for the mental game of hitting. So I highly suggest you guys check him out. Steve Springer, Quality at Bats on Instagram. You can find him on Twitter too. I mean, I don't have a direct relationship for him, but I tried to find resources that I was familiar with that baseball coaches could really dig into. Sure. And yeah, just the kind of technical mental performance side of baseball. He's great. For the mental health side of sports in general, I suggest an Instagram account called The Hidden Opponent. They have a ton of resources, a ton of mental health content that you guys could teach your athletes. They specialize in you know spreading the awareness of mental health for student athletes. And I think they're one of the top resources. And also you can check out the Applied Sports Psychology National website and there's NCAA resources for mental health for collegiate athletes that are directly applicable to youth sports and high school athletes. So I think those two uh, those two resources are great. And of course, the Psych Athletes podcast, because I just take, you know, advanced yep. themes and topics in sports psychology, and I make them easily digestible for your everyday athlete, because that is probably the biggest barrier in terms of spreading awareness for mental performance. It's just making it understandable. So I just make it really easy, really understand. So if you want to learn some mental techniques that you can teach your athletes that are quick and directly applicable to in-game performance you can check out psych athletes on apple podcast spotify wherever you listen but yeah well your your mission is it aligns directly and perfectly with the mission here it all ties together. We've had a lot of different things about taking advanced and, and trying to you know boil it down so it's more easily digestible by the youth coach. And that's exactly what you're doing at Psych Athletes. Highly recommend, you know, making that a resubscribe and follow that. And we have an Instagram account as well. You guys can follow us on Instagram. Perfect. And we post weekly mental tips and drills about twice a week. I'm always available to talk to you on Instagram. That's the number one thing that I pretty much do is talk to athletes one-on-one, help them, give them some mental health or mental performance resources that they can use to unlock their peak potential. So my DMs, message me, email, always open, always available to talk. 
Awesome. So you can get, that would be great to follow over there on Instagram. I know you mentioned Hidden Opponent on Instagram. Steve Springer with the quality at bats was another recommendation. And at the end of the day, it all boils down to presence. Just being present in life. Presence is where it, there is no other way. Life only exists in the now, in this present moment. And we got to slow down, breathe. A lot to digest in this, you know, this interview. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on here. I'd love to have you come back on. But in the meantime, I want everybody that listens to this, go over there and just remember, you have to trust us on this. As people that have been in the trenches of the game and been in the baseball world and athletics for a long time and have worked with some really high level coaches, mental coaches along our journey, this is a big deal. And this will make a big difference, not only with the people and the kids you're working with moving forward as human Mm -hmm. beings, but on the scoreboard too. So don't fool, fool yourself. They're not mutually exclusive, as we alluded to a little while ago. Ryan, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you being here. No problem. I had an absolute blast. You know, one of my dreams was when I founded Psych Athletes and when I started doing what I was doing is just to spread awareness and kind of transform the culture of baseball and make it more less raw, raw oriented, less suck it up, move on oriented, and just making everyone aware of mental health and performance and the importance and the impact it can have on athletes' performance. But yeah, thank you so much. This was great. I love this conversation. And that wraps up our interview with Ryan Foe. Love diving into the mental game. Of course, we didn't cover everything, and you could peel the layers of this onion back for pretty much infinite amount of time. But I think Ryan did a good job of adding some clarity to our coaching paradigm when it comes to working with players, the mental game, the struggles that they're going through, building up confidence, etc. And at the end of the day, we don't have all the answers here, but we are trying to get you going down the right path so you can find the answers faster. You can use these paradigm enhancers to get you there faster to help you pave your own path in a more efficient way to being a great coach. I hope you enjoyed the interview. I hope you enjoyed this episode and we look forward to seeing you back next Tuesday when we publish out the next episode. Speaking of the next episode, I will share out my top three recommendations, my top three tips, not my tips, I should say. Dr. Ken Revisa, the late great sports psychologist, Dr. Ken Revisa and Tom Hansen. I'm going to share out what I believe are the top three strategies and tips from their classic mental game book, Heads Up Baseball. So be sure to check in next week. I will also have a useful practice tip for everybody. So be sure to check in next week when we publish the next episode on Tuesday. Until then, take care of your health, take care of your families, take care of your friends, take this information out there and work hard to be a better coach because it is one of the best roles and one of the most positively influential roles out there in our world, in our communities. And until next time, adios.